Hello, and welcome again to Real Men Feel. I am your host, Andy Grant. Ah, if this is your first time listening to Real Men Feel, thank you for joining us. Real Men Feel is all about creating a space for men to allow and express all of their emotions. Good, bad, happy, sad, whatever it is. It, it is welcome here, and it really is welcome in your life. If this is your first time joining us, uh, we're glad to have you. Please come again. Please check out our history of shows on iTunes and realize that you don't have to be a man to be an attendant or to be a guest. Um, with me normally is my co-host, Apio Hunter. He cannot make it tonight, so uh, he will return next week. Real Men Feel is recorded live every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m., which is a new time for us. We're a little later now, hoping that more people can join us live. Um, you can follow us on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org. And you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. It's a weekly program. We go about 30 to 40 minutes. Your comments, feedback, participation are always welcome live during the program here or at any time, Twitter on our Facebook, Real Men on Facebook or the website realmenfeel.org. Um, all links mentioned in this episode will be placed in show notes on the website as well, so you can catch up with everything. You don't have to take vicious notes keeping up with us. Joining me today is a friend that I met, boy, three or four years ago in a positive psychology program, uh, Gary Kyle, Dr. Gary Kyle. And let me tell you a little bit about Gary. Uh, Gary has a PhD in neuropharmacology and a postdoctoral fellowship in electrophysiology. Gary has done a 15-plus-year career in pain research, pain management, pharmacology, individual and leadership development, and preventative health and wellness. Uh, Gary really has a passion for fusing science and teaching and devotes his life to offering world-class preventative health training, positive psychology coaching, and medication therapy management. He's also an accomplished motivational speaker and experiential facilitator. And he also has a life outside of all that, science and wizardry. Uh, he's also an experienced triathlete, completing numerous events between sprint and Ironman distances, as well as Tough Mudder events and a 100-mile ultramarathon. And to that, I just say, uh, what the frick? I'm like, I'm tired reading that, Gary. I don't know how, I don't know how you do that. But uh, welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you, sir. Uh, happy to be here. Absolutely thrilled to be with you and with Lori. Good to be here. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, so the, the topic of, of this week's show is, is really why men must cry. And yes. it's not that simple. It's not that compressed. We aren't saying, you know, you all must start crying right now or there's something wrong. <laughs> you know? But just that. Yeah. Well, I'll let, Gary, you explain what you mean by that. Absolutely. So, so the, 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 the key word in there is must, but the other words that are missing are, you know, where it's appropriate um, and part of a bigger plan that really helps you build on something that caused you to feel those emotions in the first place. And so crying and anger and all of these supposed negative emotions are things that a lot of us are not taught to, to show because we're men, you know, real men suck it up real men do this stuff well so why men must cry really does include that must part and then there's a lot of other stuff that we can unpack so yeah because really we've talked about it in the show many times but before you're a man you're a human and right. humans have a range of emotions first and, and foremost we're entitled and we're really meant to feel them all it's not that some are women and some are men that's true. Absolutely. And so we do know that. So, so, so my background in neuroscience has really involved a lot of investigations into are men and women wired differently? 
because when we do research on medications, we really do need to look at who we're, we're developing the medicines for. And guess what? Women and men are different. Shocker, right? Uh, hello, they're, they're completely different. Women have a double dose of X chromosome. Men kind of, you can say, got cheated or got a bonus with a Y chromosome. So we are not actually equal. We're really not biologically. When it comes to our emotional processing and actually how our brains work, they're a lot more similar than we used to think. We used to think that men were from Mars and women were from Venus, right? Well, men are from Earth and women are from Earth. From Earth, We know that flat out. We both are. And a lot of the things that we used to think about how hardwired we are is really not true. This is a lot more culturally determined. So our nurture versus what nature actually gave us. Now, we do have differences between nature man and nature woman, for sure, and we can talk about those. But a lot of these things, especially when it comes to emotional processing and emotional outlets, what we thought really was true in the past, like women, yeah, talk, women cry, men don't talk, men don't cry. Those things are not just wrong, they are killing especially men. And we'll talk about the really the physiological as well as the mental impacts of suppressing uh, strong emotions like anger or like, like fear or sadness, like uh, what we talk about when we're crying. Cool. So really society and teachings and, and our culture have kind of taught men to shun an aspect of their actual biology. Absolutely. And the key thing is, is not every single society around the world teaches that same philosophy. So there actually are many non-agricultural, so non-agrarian, more hunter-gatherer type of um, cultures that are still in existence. South America, some parts of Africa, some parts of uh, Southeast Asia. These cultures actually have a very different approach when it comes to things like sex, like relationships, and oh, like men's feelings. And so it's very interesting that a lot of these cultures are not just different when it comes to diseases, and we have to control for environmental factors, we have to control for diet, we have to control for all of these things. What some research is now starting to show is it's as important as nutrition and relationships for men to actually just simply let it all out, if you will. Um, and one of the things that, that, that you and I know pretty well, because we were taught this in our positive psychology training is, Certain studies over the past 20 or 30 years have started showing that when anyone suppresses negative emotions, so again, those things like anger or fear or frustration or you know, whatever, anxiety, we suppress our ability to show all emotions. And so it's not like we get to pick and choose, like, ooh, I'm just not going to show my sadness. I'm not going to show my anger because those are, those are negative. And then I can just work fine over here with these positive ones. We know flat out now that that's not true. The way the brain processes those feelings and those emotions is on a much deeper level in the brain, not on the neocortex, not on the little shell that sits on the top part that makes us so intelligent. It processes these things way deep down in our brainstem or right above that. And it doesn't really differentiate at that level happiness from anger. It's just, it's just emotions, right? It's the other parts that, that process that. So when we suppress that, those negative emotions, we're actually inhibiting our, our, our abilities to exhibit joy and happiness and wonderment and um, just fun. So that's the, that's the key thing. 
right there. I, I've always explained it to, to my coaching clients that um, there aren't like, this is an emotion, that's an emotion, there's an emotional spectrum. And if yes. you have a, have a cap or limit to how low you're willing to feel, there's a corresponding limit to how high you're allowing yourself to feel as well. So when, yes. when we, again, if we try to ignore the negative aspect, we just keep shrinking the spectrum of what we're allowing ourselves to feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no, and that's, and that's because the, you know, where it's processed deep, 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 deep within the brain, there is no qualifying factors to those. It's just raw emotion. So emotion is emotion. And when that comes from basically all over our body, because when we have those emotional responses, they are full body responses. It's just not like, Oh, I feel sad. And that's right here. No, it's not. It's a, it's a full body response. And so when those well up, literally through our entire body up into the brain, it gets all processed through the same little channel. And I love the way you just said that, because when we limit our one side of the spectrum, it's like we're closing off that channel, but we close off the channel to the positive side as well. It's like we atrophy when it comes to atrophy, meaning kind of shrink our ability to exhibit all emotions. And so that's, that's bad enough because we want to exhibit and we want to experience the greatest joys in life. That's what life is all about. Yeah. We can't. If we limit that bad part, we actually limit that, that bigger part. Right. So if, for, for, for any man that has tried to navigate his life by not allowing those so-called negative emotions, you, you, in my experience, you really end up in this just the doldrums, this heaviness, grossness kind of. You don't, you don't just feel that upper limit at all. You don't. You don't. And I like, I like explaining it uh, like we have this spectrum, like you said. So there's a negative side to the spectrum, which is our limit of negative emotions, and a positive side of the spectrum. Well, this could be considered our baseline. It's actually kind of narrow, you know, if you consider this. When we have these negative or positive emotions that happen in our life, it actually expands both sides of the spectrum. So our positive emotion, emotional responses actually do move our ability to experience those negative ones, but not if we cut it off. If we cut it off, then this slides back, if you will. So we'll, we'll almost stay constrained. When you think about your widest space and your strongest stance, you know, think about your base being this wide because then you can live your life not just fully, but when stuff happens kind of in this midland range or maybe even a little bit further, that current or that previously was your edge where you didn't think you could go any further at all. Well, if your edge is over here now, this stuff, eh, it's not that much, right? Even if it goes even farther than where your previous border was, you're still like, oh, pff, that's nothing. This, <laughs> this is really something. And the cool part is, is this actually happens over here so that you can experience all of these things and know Ah, if I keep living my life even more openly, I can go to this other extreme. So it's this beautiful expansion, but only if we completely embrace both of them. Stopping, stopping one, mostly the negative parts will actually constrain the upper parts as well. Yeah, yeah and I've, yeah. I've found in, in my life that if we're willing to feel any emotion in the moment that it arises, it, yes. it will pass through us and be experienced much easier than, you know, we fight and resist it and say we're not supposed to feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's actually a good, a good segue into a second major point to, to realize about bottling up these emotions is that um, other types of feelings can come along with these, with these emotions. And so I, I, you and I were sharing something earlier that I'll share with everyone now is that, um, again, society or, or even our family, for that matter, affixed labels on us. And I was labeled the happy kid. 
I was always a happy kid. I really was. I was like this cute little puppy dog that was just running around <laughs> happy about everything. Well, the first time I remember feeling sadness, that quickly progressed from sadness to guilt. Because in my mind's eye, in my heart, really, I was the happy kid. And so here the happy kid was feeling sadness. And it wasn't just sadness. It was, oh, my God, I feel guilty. I feel guilty for feeling sadness because I'm the happy kid. And so when we start layering these other parts on top of these emotions, instead of just simply letting them come out as they are, things not just get complicated. It can actually go even worse. So guilt is not a regular emotion, you know, so like anger and fear and happiness, these are, these, these are kind of more regular, more natural emotions. Guilt is something that is layered with um, processing. So it's not just that, that brainstem that's uh, reacting. It's now tying it together with all of these higher order thinking parts of the brain and getting out of guilt is actually much more difficult than getting out of just simple fear. And so that's what happened to me. And, and I know you, I know you had a, a, a different experience, but, but just as, just as important. Yeah. And so I just want to back up on that. Cause I, ne I never heard of that way or thought of it. So, mm -hmm. so guilt isn't kind of a natural emotion. Guilt requires like our own judgment and an analyzation to happen as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so even shame, shame is a little bit more natural because babies can actually feel shame. We know that, but it's, it's not, really shame it's kind of an embarrassment it's kind of an unfamiliarity so all of these you know like you said they're on a spectrum so they get they get clouded but guilt ooh, you know guilt is definitely one of those things that you you have to learn you you have to go oh you know i'm a bad person to to be guilty about something is i'm a bad person versus i'm just pissed off you know or i'm sad those are, those are still states, or better yet to say it is, I'm feeling sad because I'm not sad. But, but, but guilt, yeah, guilt is one of those, those things that just is, is more complicated. And, and that hit me because I didn't accept my sadness just as, you know what, I'm feeling kind of down today. I'm just really not doing very well. So instead of living that, I went even further down into that, into that guilt range. I want to point out another thing you just said kind of in passing that that has proven to be a very powerful lesson in my life. But you said, you know, I am not sadness. I am not guilt, right? Because yes. nobody says, hi, I'm cancer. Hi, I am diabetes. How are you? Right? But uh, from my background, I had a, I was dealt with a lot of sadness and depression as a kid. And I thought I was depression. It, didn't, yes. it wasn't a temporary feeling I had. It wasn't my yeah. experience. It was me. And it took oh, me a long time to, to learn that that was not the case. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so actually related to I, people don't introduce themselves like I am cancer or, or I am diabetes, you know, the system actually does treat people that way and they'll actually introduce. So healthcare practitioners, I'm a pharmacist, so I work with a lot of healthcare practitioners. They'll actually say the oncologist patient in room 312. Well, that, that actually implants in the person's mind or anyone else listening that it's the oncology or it's the cancer or it's the diabetes that is more important than the person. And so healthcare practitioners are being schooled now to go, you're a person with, and it's a temporary thing, but you're a person first. You just simply happen to have something else. And so I was a kid who felt shame, who felt guilt, who whatever it was. So yeah, it's but but it's one of these things that we get so immersed in as we're being raised again nurture that uh, we don't realize we're even saying these things 
but it's definitely set up setting up a mindset, you know, on a different level. So yeah, and those those family labels can be tough. And I I see it in, in my own family or anytime you watch a family reunion, like it seems so common that people slip back into their oldest labels and oldest acts and oldest what they're allowed to be and put put on that show, if you will. That's right. Yeah, and and when we're kids, you know, those are the types. Uh, those are the time points in our life where we are learning and we are memorizing and we are hardwiring our our brains. Literally, we are hardwiring them at a time point where we don't understand fully what that means. And so, like with me, I actually didn't realize that I had this guilt when I felt sad until well into my thirties, and so that was so hardwired into me, I would feel it, but I never had a chance to step back and go, why am I feeling guilt? Because again, that is a feeling, but you have to unpack it. You have to say, well, is that really guilt? And why would it be guilt? Why would I be feeling that? And so allowing yourself to even feel, if you will, guilt is a beautiful thing because then you can start saying, where did it come from? Because until I can figure out where it came from, I actually can't treat it, if you will. I can't, I can't deal with it. I can't face it. And very importantly, for something called post-traumatic growth order that I'd like to talk about, to look at it and go, wow, what a beautiful gift I have been given in this moment. Because I can use this messy part of my life to actually help me grow in other ways that weren't possible. Yeah, within every pile of shit that we go through there there somewhere is a gift and you know, as, as a kid i didn't I, it took me decades to, to really accept that is true but but oh, it is absolutely and if we if we shut off even looking at it acknowledging it you know seeing that it really exists we will never open that opportunity up to take us to where we could go so, yes. Yeah, and, and these labels. So just to, just to um, just to illustrate another point here is that families really have good intentions when they when they do those labels. So like I was labeled the happy kid. What what a beautiful label on the surface. But my family my my family really didn't think about what it might do to me if I were to you know turn into the non-happy kid what would happen and i know you and i both know this and, and laurie knows as well probably a lot of people watching this you know carol dweck and her mindset book phenomenal book when parents praise their children as the beautiful one or the smart one or you know these 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 things that are not based on the child's attempt at being something but giving them that label when they when they experience a time in their life where they're not the prettiest, where they're not the smartest, where they're not something else, where do they go? It was very similar to me. I was the happy kid, and I'm not the happy kid, and I don't know where to go. And so those those labels create that fixed mindset, and it literally is a wiring in the brain that we're stuck, and we don't know where to go when something bad happens. Now, if we do something different with the growth mindsets, then those same traumatic things that happen can actually be part of a process where we go, whoa, wow, you know, ooh, that was nasty, ugly. How can I actually go from it? Because I don't want to stay here. I'm not fixed. I can actually do something about it. And so post-traumatic growth order is one of these, um, these things that I'm just on fire about because it shows that we don't just have the ability to weather trauma, you know, to get through it. But if we immerse ourselves, if we just allow ourselves to go into that with this kindness and with this compassion and with this openness, 
we can actually have the trauma take us in developmental ways in a positive direction that we couldn't have gone just without that trauma. So something else we can talk about. Yeah, I'd love to, because again, that's something, not until as a full-fledged adult did I ever hear that there was a positive, everyone here hears about PTSD, and that, yeah. you know, any, like, you either survive a trauma, or it somehow destroys you and damages you. There was never, right. there was never an upside that yeah. you would hear about. Um, yeah. But yeah. one word that's coming up a lot is, is allowing. Mm. So allowing the negative emotion, allowing yourself to get out of some boundaries and labels, and it really, for, I find that it all starts there. And Absolutely. Allowing yourself to feel something lets it get cycled, lets it get released, and then you can go, you know, well, what, what new choice can I do to not feel that way again? Where did that come from if it's still bothering me? But in, mm -hmm. if we keep fighting and resisting how we feel, then yes. we continue to feel horrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the part of that allowing that you're getting to that maybe some people don't know is when we disallow, so take it the opposite direction, when we disallow that from happening, we actually create situations in our life that impact us, not just mentally, but physically. And it impacts our relationships. It impacts our job. It impacts our longevity. So um, one thing that we do know that we've known, I think, for about 30 years, maybe even longer than that, but there's some very clear studies that have started coming out just recently. What are the mental and physical? So what are the health impacts of constraining of disallowing our emotions to freely flow so you know especially with men there's a good question out there do men die at younger ages because they suppress those emotions so that that's a pretty big question i don't think that's been fully answered but what we do know is that suppressing emotions especially in men but this is true of women as well leads to Increased rates of cancer, increased rates of cardiovascular disease and heart attacks, increased um, diabetes, increased mental disorders, anxieties and depressions and bipolar and all of these things. So we know flat out for everyone involved, when we suppress those emotions, there are immediate health, health impacts in a negative way. Does that translate to increased mortality in men? Actually, some studies are starting to show that, yeah, this, this actually may be part of that because men are still dying younger in these societies, especially those societies that constrain the, the, the free flow of these emotions. And those other societies, it's kind of tr tough to rule out all of the other factors that increase their longevity or decrease their longevity, you know, because sometimes they get eaten by tigers, literally, where we're scared of paper tigers. Um, they're starting to show at least in some controlled populations that yeah this may be not just an impact on our health and our well-being and how well importantly for men we provide to our families you know that's another thing that we should talk about that there's a discrepancy that it shouldn't just be men with the pressure to provide it's everyone but we're starting to see that bottling those up is actually impacting really our our, our longevity so, so is resiliency a, a skill set that anyone can develop or just some, like a trauma happens to two people and one person will just be distraught and kind of crumble and not know what to do with themselves and another person, uh, it strengthens them somehow? Is that yeah. innate? That's a br brilliant, brilliant question. And the answer is w different than what we used to think. We used to think that, um, that trauma would actually make us stronger. You know, the, the, the saying, what kills you, what doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. Well, 
That's an idiotic and completely false saying. Okay? If it doesn't kill you, it just simply doesn't kill you. It can take you and almost kill you or put you in a position where you want to kill yourself because it's that bad, or it could actually help you go the opposite direction. So what differentiates those two outcomes? Because that's PTSD or suicide or you know something very catastrophic or this post-traumatic growth order. And what studies are starting to show is that post-traumatic growth order is actually possible, very highly possible, although it's not been proven for everyone, very highly possible for most people. That's not to say everyone can actually go into that because we don't have enough data to show that it does. But what we do know is that people who have gone through what I call mini T traumas, so M-I-N-I, small T traumas, these are traumas that, that hit us and if we're able to process them, if, we're, if we allow them to come in to do their thing, us to look at them, us to learn, us to grow, we actually become stronger. Our resiliency actually increases. And if those small T traumas keep hitting us, then we can get stronger and stronger and stronger over time. So that when a big trauma happens, we're actually ready to go. It's like training for a 100-mile run. Most people go, I can't ever run 100 miles, no way. But I go, you know what? If you started running a mile, just a mile, keep running a mile for five years, a mile is going to seem like a piece of cake. Repeat it for two, repeat it for five, repeat it for 10. So eventually, the, the reality is, is anyone could do 100 miles. Anyone, anyone. If you don't believe you can, you'll prove yourself right. You can't, absolutely. But so, so what differentiates, what we know now differentiates PTSD from PTGO is, do we have those mini traumas, those little traumas, and were we able to weather them? Because if we were, we can possibly go to PTGO, but if we weren't, or we trained ourselves poorly, PTSD is actually our trajectory. So how we respond to these small things is critical. Whether we have the small things to respond to are critical as well. So there's all kinds of different mixtures in there that, that, fully determined for each individual, which way are you going to go? I would, I would imagine it, it's, it's there. <laughs> I imagine it's pretty tough to, to study this because, you know, again, the culture, the, the way the medicinal world works is it's, it's the bad feeling. It's something going wrong that gets treated in attention. So if you go through something and turn it around and use it to reevaluate your life or, you know, get some growth opportunity and, and seize that opportunity out of it, you know, the traditional world of science isn't used to noticing that. No, they're not. Because we, we've, for the past three to 500 years, depending on how you uh, count them, we focused on fixing pathologies. Because why would you, why would you tinker with something that works well? You know, it, survival is survival. You're alive. You're on the green side of the grass. Who gives a rat's ass if you're, you know, kind of a little bit miserable? You're still surviving. But we now have the ability to start saying, really, is that what it's all about? Or isn't life all about thriving? And not just thriving in our own life, but helping others thrive. And that's that's been my passion. And so like the Growth Leaders Network that I'm a part of, this is what it's all about. It's leading really is cultivating yourself first so that you thrive in every single moment. And only then can you look at somebody else kindly with patience and go, how can I actually cultivate you so that you thrive? Not me fix you, because that's not helping you and it's not helping me. It's how do I help you find a safe place so that you can actually grow and start thriving yourself. And 
we live in this beautiful world. Most of us actually do live in this beautiful world where we can start cultivating ourselves. We have enough information. We don't need to have all information to know that this is really a, a much better way of going forward. And then, very importantly, turning it over. So helping other people. Don't just cultivate yourself. That's self-serving, but rather limited. <laughs> Go for the world, you know, cultivate the world. And we now are starting to see that, oh yeah, you can absolutely do this on, on great, great, great scales. Cool. I love seeing that the notion of leadership is changing because, you know, again, especially as a kid, my leadership was the strong, silent, suck it up. And that's, yeah, the drill sergeant mentality. That was leadership. And it's, so it's yes. so um, heartwarming to, to talk about leadership in allowing an emotional range. That that's it, it is. Well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I like to look at the organizations because we usually have the pyramid, you know, the organizational organogram, where we have the, the, the executive people clear up on top. And most people try to think of businesses in that in, in this in the body, you know, so the, the C suite, you know, the, all of the executives are the brains of the organization, then there's the workers, you know, maybe even the heart workers, and then there's the bowels, and we literally describe that as the bowels of the organization down below. Well, an important thing to, to think about, especially in my world of, of pain management, is if somebody takes an opioid you know, for, for pain management, and they're great for pain management, there's a side effect called constipation, right? So in the human body, which do you think is more important, the brain cells or the bowel? Let me tell you, when the bowel backs up, guess what happens to the brain? <laughs> right? It completely shuts off right? Because shit literally accumulates. And I mean, the brain just starts frying up. So it's not a question of better, worse, higher, lower, more valued, less valued. It's we have this beautiful system that has to work in sync. And so the way we cultivate the brain actually needs to be different than the way we cultivate the heart. And it's different than the way we need to we cultivate the colon. So don't expect everyone in an organization to be treated identically because they're not. They, they shouldn't be. And a heart cell should go, I'm damn proud of being a heart cell. Thank, thank God I'm not a kidney because I would fail miserably as a kidney. But the kidney goes, thank God I'm a kidney. Thank God I'm not a heart because I would fail at that. And so these are the types of conversations we can have in businesses. But again, it all comes back to can all of the people involved involved really embrace their their totality so embrace not just your intellectual parts but your emotional parts because you're you're beautiful you're beautiful as you are and you could be different than somebody else but allow your fullness your completeness to show up and you'll be healthy the organization will be healthy and really everything will work so much better cool so so the old saying uh, someone has shit for brains is actually uh, rooted in a bit of science that I can say now. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is scientific, sure. <laughs> sure. And uh, and and not by by encompassing all of you, by allowing for all of you to, to be expressed and to be felt and to be shared uh, as leadership, it, it's not just beautiful because it, it truly makes us more powerful. We can get more done, we can be more productive, we can lead more people, we can help uh, the entire world much, much better. Oh, absolutely. Because when we're living in a place of contracture, you know, where we're, we're limiting ourselves, our emotions and all of those other things, we actually shrink. We, I mean, physically, our brain shrinks. We know that for a fact because it's not healthy. It's, it's when we allow all of these things to just simply flow the way that they're supposed to, the way that they were designed to flow. That's when we're healthy. And 
very importantly, people around us, especially for leaders, the people are looking at the leadership going, wow, they're doing it. They're actually allowing their emotions to, to happen. And so that cultural mindset pervades everything and everyone starts to see that it's not just okay, it's actually strengthening the entire body, the entire corpus. So it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a feed forward. It's a positive, 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 positive for everyone. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So um, you mentioned the Growth Leaders Network. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what, what they are doing and what you are doing with them? Yeah, so um, so the Growth Leaders Network is is really all about reframing life as an unending opportunity for growth. And so most people think that growth opportunities are great when you're experiencing good things. Woo, you know, I'm, I'm happy, I'm healthy, things are going great, and I'm growing. Um, well, that's true. But what we want to do is to change the discussion, really starting with business leaders. Because we can start with individuals. We do work with individuals. Um, you know, to cultivate their own mindset. Do you have a growth mindset? How do you how do you look at trauma in your own life? How do you really see your place in the overall totality of life? You know, so when you're struggling, how do you feel? When you're happy, how do you feel? Um, the Growth Leaders Network is taking it to the business and simply helping business leaders realize that when they don't treat their employees like a living part of a living entity. So your, your, your business really is a living entity because it involves living, organi- living organisms, right? You, you kill them and you, you kill them by, by unending stress, by propagating fears, by doing all of these, um, well, bad business practices that evolved a couple hundred years ago, you know, like the taskmaster, like the knower, like the I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do, or worse, I'm going to do it for you, and they get mad at you and make you feel bad. So that basically kills the individuals and it kills the businesses. And so what we do is we have online programs, we have individual coaching things, we have we work with businesses directly to say, if you're doing well, fantastic. Can you actually take it to the next level? So even if businesses have this great culture to them, we, we believe that they can actually do better. And if businesses are suffering, which, by the way, 70-some-odd percent of people, so at least two-thirds of most people in every single business are disengaged. So two-thirds, two out of every three, are not happy, they're not thriving, and thus the business is actually not thriving as much as it could. So how do you change that? How do you change the conversations to go, okay? That's our past. Let's not stay in the past. Let's also not drag that past forward. Let's just simply look at this and go, good, we're here. We had a lot of learning. How can we actually go forward? And so the Growth Leaders Network is that. Works with businesses, works with individuals, um, pretty much everywhere throughout the world. And that's what I get to do, is have these types of conversations. And and how can people learn more about about that network? Yeah, so uh, the the URL, unfortunately, we couldn't get the gln.org because that was already taken, but it's, it's just uh, growthleadersnetwork.org. That's the URL, all one word. Uh, and then I'm just at Gary at growthleadersnetwork.org. So you can reach me that way, uh, or you can see the website uh, at growthleadersnetwork.org. Super, super. And, and just before we close, um, is there anything else you want to really get across about um, post-traumatic growth order or, or anything else mm. that we touched on? Yeah. So just just like uh, uh, just like I mentioned, 
we can handle trauma, those small T traumas, in negative ways to actually set us up to go down to uh, PTSD. So we, we can actually train ourselves in, in, in bad ways, if you will. Um, reach out to a professional, reach out to somebody like me or, or somebody else who knows a little bit more about PTGO to help question certain practices that you may have that may be helping you in the moment but maybe taking you down that PTSD route. And I'll just give one very quick example, right? Anger management. Remember that movie? Funny, funny movie, but anger management used to be a psychological practice where you would grab a pillow when you were pissed, right? And you would hit the pillow or you'd hit a stuffed animal or you would do whatever it is. Well, we now know that that's not the way you should do that because what you do is you try an emotion like anger to a behavior that's this, and you set yourself up into a vicious cycle. Well, if you have a pillow or a stuffed animal around that's kind of handy, that's okay. But if you're in the grocery store or the shopping mall or someplace else at a concert and you had a couple drinks, if something triggers that, that cue, that's that trigger, you're gonna go into the exact same behavior and that's beating the hell out of somebody. And so that's a practice that would actually take you down to PTSD. So instead, why not have an anger that just absolutely wells up in your body and do this? Do deep breathing. Let the anger happen. Don't suppress it, but don't tie it to a behavior that's actually not going to help you out. So that deep breathing, you're tying the anger, the feeling with the behavior that's positive for you and for others. You're not going to get put in jail for breathing. You can actually set yourself up to go through PTS or to, to, to PTGO. So awesome. don't train yourself in the wrong direction because you, you may actually be doing that and you don't even know it. Yeah. I was like, I always had been taught that a, a physical release can help you release some emotion, but you know, uh, and I've certainly done breathing for other emotions, but yeah, I had not put anger, uh, releasing anger just into some deep breathing. So that, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And so if you want to do push-ups, do push-ups. I mean, uh, do squats, do jumping jacks, uh, do laughter therapy, or, uh, tie, the be, tie the feeling to some kind of other much more productive behavior. Because they don't, anger and violence don't need to go hand in hand. There's, there's no physiological reason why they would need to. Fear and running, that's kind of hardwired into us. So if you're fearful, go for a run. <laughs> but do it in the moment because that's that's more natural. Cool. If you awesome. can't do it in the moment, control what happens in the moment. Just breathe. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, I, I always love talking to you, Gary, because you, again, you bring a scientific edge. You bring a research edge that isn't. Let's see, isn't a uh, hmm, isn't a highlight of the people I normally talk. It's not their center of existence. <laughs> the way that you bring it all and uh, you make it accessible and easy to understand. So. So again, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for all the great insight and the feedback. And, uh, and visit realmenfeel.org in the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'll get a link to the book that you've mentioned and, mm -hmm. uh, and a link to the Growth Leader Network as well. Mm -hmm. And next week, uh, we'll be back live next Tuesday, October 18th at 8.30 p.m. And Apio, will, Apio and I will be together again, which I think it'll be the first time in like a month of shows that we'll both be back. So uh, that'll be interesting and fun again. Uh, until then, uh, check us out at realmenfeel.org. Join the Real Men Feel group on Facebook. Share what you thought of this show, what sort of topics you'd like to see in the future. And we hope to be with you all again. And we hope to talk with you again, Gary. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again for joining. Be well, everybody. <laughs> be well.